When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new Crossed Up, the first episode of the 2023 season. Anthony Sanfilippos here. I'm Bob Wankel, and we are back after one of the shortest off-seasons that I can ever remember. I feel like (laughs) you and I were just sitting out in left field in that auxiliary press box during the World Series and here we are and it's it's pitchers and catchers and we're back and I just I don't know if it's the Eagles I don't know if it was a deep Phillies playoff run or or what but I just can't believe we're doing this already well Bob to be honest with you I mean really it's it's only 104 days since they lost the World Series that's all it is it's 104 days like the Eagles losing the Super Bowl and they won't play another competitive game for eight months yeah and we're 104 days later, and we're in spring training. Yeah, I mean it's unbelievable. It's great. It's great. I mean, really, we it's have awesome. we have baseball, and it's it's not live action yet. It, it, it's not for real, but we have signs of life here. Pitchers and catchers down in Clearwater uh, today, actually, as we record this, and this will go out on Friday, which I guess should. Uh, Bring us to a programming note here. Um, so in the past, one of the things that our listeners, they always say, like, we really like your show. You have good chemistry. It's insightful. It's a little bit different. We, we enjoy it. But but what the hell, guys? Like, sometimes you'll miss a week or you'll go away for two weeks. So here's the deal. We took a really long and hard look at this show uh, with a couple conversations over the past few weeks. And we kicked around a bunch of different options. And we decided that we're going to continue as is. We're going to stay with Crossed Up. But for the first time since the show's inception, we're going to keep a, a schedule. And it's not just, hey, do you want to record and trying to sync up schedules. So what we are going to do this season is we will give a show every Monday and every Friday. And so this one went out on Friday. It's episode one of this season. And we will stick to that schedule unless uh, I happen to have a child on one of those two days. <laughs> Because it segues into the the other uh, aspect that I want to touch on ahead of time here. Anthony, uh, you know, you obviously were doing some coverage uh, during the stretch drive of the regular season and in the postseason with the Phillies and kind of uh, supplemented what I was doing at the start of the season. Uh, This year, though, we're going to kind of reverse roles. So you're going Mm -hmm. to be taking the lead on Phillies coverage for crossing broad. Uh, I have some other obligations professionally that I need to tend to within the company. And, uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, I have a 17-month-old daughter, and I am expecting my uh, first son on April 1st, which uh, is is not the perfect time to have a child as it relates to covering a Major League Baseball team. So You know what's coming opening day. You know what's going to happen opening day, no matter what. Absolutely. So uh, Anthony's going to kind of be taking the uh, lead role in Phillies coverage for Crossing Broad. I still hope to... uh, be down there uh with some frequency at least uh and, and providing some some kind of alternative coverage maybe kind of getting back to my roots as a, as a little bit of an unhinged fan blogger type rather than the uh the big the journalist journalist. Type, right? yeah. yeah so uh you know i think that that's going to be our plan for the season and then one other thing that i had kind of kicked around was starting a separate podcast where you know, it's 20 minutes every day, one person kind of recapping, walking through, uh, you know, each night, each game. And rather than kind of section off the, its own show, we're actually going to run that through the Crossed Up channel as well. So our big podcasts are going to be on Monday and Friday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day. If there's a game. If there's a game, right. uh, either Anthony or myself is going to jump on and kind of just, you know, tell you what we saw. What what did we see down at the ballpark? What are we hearing? You know, what stuck out to us every, uh, you know, each and every game. And and we know that there's other podcasts that do this, that, that do daily stuff. But I think it was a really nice way for us to stay in a rhythm 
and, and be here and chronicle this whole thing from start to finish. Because let's be honest, you know, you and I have had playoff expectations in the past. But this year is different. You know, they mm-hmm. climbed that mountain last year, and I think that everybody really expects to, to see one hell of a season here. So it should be a lot of fun. There should be plenty to talk about, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I, Bob. And not only that, I mean, and we, we saw, I mean, it's, you know, it's no secret. The run last year, October and November, the amount, the traffic on Crossing Broad site was astronomical. I mean, it was some of the biggest numbers the site has ever put up. Um, and that was totally, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the, the Eagles getting off to a great start helped too. I mean, I don't want to just make it that it's 100% Phillies, but it was predominantly, you know, the Phillies making the run that they made. Absolutely. Right. Um, and, and so obviously we, there's a feeling in this city that we are going to kind of be in that, that feeling of what it was like back in the you know, 07 to 11, right. Where that kind of, excitement for the team is there the crowds are going to be there i don't know if they're going to sell out every night but they're going to get big crowds in that building now it's not going to be just you know show me you're, and then, you're not then we'll gonna have people saying yeah I, I need to see more or prove right. that you're legit or you, right. you beat up on the bad teams but what happens when you play the mets i mean people are it's different now i think that they, they, this fan base and this team together has turned a corner yeah and i so so because of that we you know need to re- we recognize that and so therefore we want to be able to provide that outlet for fans to talk you know, talk about the Phillies or listen to about the Phillies or reach out to us on Twitter and and and, and you know let us know what they think watch us we're going to be putting these up on YouTube like everything's there it's going to be it's going to be a much more engaged podcast for everybody and uh, I'm excited for the season. I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, going to be down at spring training. Uh, I'll be there for about uh, nine days worth of uh, their their camp uh, in March. Um, so it'll be really kind of cool to just kind of you know get some stuff from while we're down there as well. Um, maybe we'll get a guest or two while we're at it. Uh, have some, have some fun with that as well. Um, so no, I do. I, I'm really kind of looking forward to the season and and where we're headed with this. Yeah. And as always, I mean, obviously you've done a great job with the Flyers, your stuff with the Phillies at the end of last season was great. And so I think the fans are going to really enjoy uh, following you and and following the website here throughout the season. So here we are. This is our show. I'd like to say it's a new show. It's not it's but it's certainly a revamped show. I think it's a rededicated show with some focus. And, and, you know, listen, I mean, we're here, we're here. It's legit. We're sticking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, you know, like you said, we had some thoughts about maybe kind of killing it off, uh, rethinking what we were going to do, but we want this show to succeed. We want it to be bigger and better than ever. And, uh, I think that this is the year that's going to happen. So I agree. Uh, make sure that you're following along, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, YouTube. And then, uh, we also just started up a, a Twitter account today for the show as well. It's at up. Phillies UP up for crossed up and Phillies and you can follow us along on the uh, Twitter account and then certainly our personal accounts if you're watching on YouTube you see them on the screen there if you're not and you're listening uh, I'm Bob Wankel at Bob Wankel CB and then of course Anthony is at Aunt San Philly all right good to see you're not Aunt San Francisco anymore so <laughs> <laughs> That was such a great nickname by by Peyton. Beautiful. That was such a great nickname. Uh, So (laughs) here we are, and it's funny. Like pitchers and catchers, baseball is back, and I'm I'm gonna hit you with one right off the bat here. Mm -hmm. And you may know this about me because this isn't the first season that we've talked baseball, but I have to tell you, I I find pitchers and catchers to be one of the most overrated days on the sports calendar. It's like a, a rite of spring. It's like a it's a it's a, an event that you look forward to because you know what's coming, you know what's ahead. But for me, I don't know. A bunch of guys just, you know, throw into – just it's not well, really that big of a deal for me. I look at it as it's the baseball fans' groundhog day. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, right? it's, that's what exactly, it's six more weeks and then the season starts. That's, yeah. that's really what it is. Um, I don't get excited by the actual events of pitchers and catchers because, you know, you watch the video. It's like, ooh, they're throwing. I have no idea what I'm looking at here, but he threw the ball. The catcher caught the ball. There's a coach standing in the box, you know, just taking like dry swings, like no bat in hand. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the one of the issues is, is that usually if there's news coming out of camp, it's it's either 
good news, like we saw today, there, there can be good news, Sir Anthony Dominguez extension, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But most of the time, it's we're going to slow this guy down or we're going to hold him back or he felt a little stiff. So there's like not a ton of good that can come at right. this point in spring training, at least, before they start playing the game. No, I, I, but I do always look forward to, and I was watching it just before we started recording here, I do always look forward to the first that first press conference like where you're talking to the manager and Rob Thompson talked today um, and he talked to, you know, we'll talk about some of the things that he said, but the, the one thing is, is like, it, you know, you mentioned that, like it's usually you're getting, oh, so-and-so is a little bit behind. They didn't really have anybody. There's one non-roster invite player who's got a very, very minor hamstring injury pitcher, John Duplantier used to be within the Diamondbacks organization, um, but they're continuing his throwing program. So it's not going to affect him as far as pitching is concerned. And Soto has got a visa issue right now, but the good news is, is he lives like right by the Phillies Dominican camp. So they're just basically making him start his program there. He won't be behind when he actually gets to Florida. So that's it. I mean, everybody else, uh, Bryce Harper aside, is healthy, come, right? Coming into the coming into tra- spring training. So knock on wood, that's great news for the Phillies. Normally, like you said, there's a handful of guys. Remember last year we had Zach Wheeler right off the bat, right? That, that, was, a, that was a problem. Um, so, so day one, no concerns. Let's see what day two brings. So this year is, is a lot different than uh, previous years in that there, there's not a ton of, or at least there's not seemingly a, a ton of competition to be had here. No. This roster is, is veteran. It's, it's pretty established. Uh, there, there may be a, a bench spot or two. Uh, available and then you know who is that last arm in the bullpen? I mean, those are really the the roster battles that we're going to see and, play and, out. And the number five, and the number five starter, and, and the number five starter. Yeah. And I think that that, and we'll talk about that in great detail here. I think that that is probably the the prominent, the first and foremost thing that has to get figured out for this team this spring. And I, I think it's probably the the primary storyline and the thing that everyone's going to pay attention to. So it, it, it's kind of interesting. We're not looking at seven or eight different roster battles. We don't have the who's going to win center field. We, we know what this team wants to come to opening day with. So that being said, fifth starter aside, Andrew Painter aside, what is it really that, that you're looking at in, in totality when you kind of just say, here's spring training. What do I need to see? What do I not want to see? Like, what are we looking for here? So I think that the bullpen is really interesting. And I know that I feel like I talk about the bullpen every spring, right? And in years past, I've been concerned about the bullpen every spring. It's been my big red flag. Um, I don't think it's a red flag anymore. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty solid bullpen. But what I'm curious to see, and we may not know, Bob, until the actual regular season begins, but you start those last week, week and a half of spring training, you really start to get a sense of roles that they kind of – and I don't think that there's going to be a set closer per se, but I do think that there are going to be guys that are put into certain situations. And I think guy like a guy like Sir Anthony Dominguez, who did sign a, uh, an extension today, I think he's going to be your high-leverage right-handed reliever. And whether that means he comes in in the seventh or the eighth or the ninth – will really depend on the matchup, the score of the game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think he is probably the guy that they view as the best reliever um, that's there. That's not a knock on anybody else in the pen. I just think that that's what the Phillies believe. And I think that he's going to be the guy that's given the most crucial moments to start the season. But beyond that, it's going to be interesting to see. We got, you got three lefties in that bullpen. The Phillies never have three lefties in the pen. So they can match up with anybody, and it's a matter of you know when and, and who at, at, at that time. And then uh, you have some other, a couple other guys who, have, who are righties who have closer experience, like a Kimbrel and like a Soto. I mean, so you know, it's going to, I'm really excited to see how the bullpen shapes out because they have five or six guys that could all fit multiple roles and who gets to be what role is what's what's most interesting to me yeah there's quite a bit of versatility there and I mean we're coming into a spring training which there are four guys in the back end of that bullpen that all have significant ninth inning experience or high leverage experience and uh, to your point we may not know until the regular season. It, it may take a while into the month of April for these these roles to be a little bit more established because you know, let's be honest, eight Phillies, and you and I talked about this last night, uh, 
you know, eight Phillies are going to participate in the World Baseball Classic. So between March 8th, which is when it, it starts up, and March 21st, and I imagine there's a, a day or two that, that kind of bookends the WBC as well, you're talking about two-plus weeks where a lot of prominent pieces of this team, this roster, aren't going to be in Clearwater. So I, I think that that is going to kind of create a little bit of a, a disjointed feel to, to their camp. Um, but again, you're talking about a veteran team that that has clearly defined roles, that kind of knows what to expect. And I don't expect this to to kind of disrupt the Phillies' rhythm as they build towards the season, even though they have a, a significant number. It's, I mean, it's a third of the roster. So that being said, I do think it may take them a little bit of time to, to sort of get everything together here. Yeah, I, I, the one thing I, I like about the fact that they have so many guys playing in the world baseball classic is that matters to these guys. Like yeah. that's a thing. I mean, that's like the Olympic gold medal, right? I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. There, there are players country. going this year that did not previously go who are like amped up about it. And, right. And so this is going to be competitive baseball in March. And so, especially for, you know, I look at, I, I look at the hitters and I look at, you know, Schwarber and Turner and real Muto all playing for Team USA, and I think that that's a great thing. Like, they're going to get competitive at-bats, and several of them, over the course of two weeks in March, when they would – and they may play seven innings, eight innings, or or a complete game because they matter, as opposed to just getting, you know, your one and two at-bats and then head to the locker room and go go, go, go to the golf course, right? I mean, so, like, they're going to be in, I think, I hope, regular season ready – maybe a little bit sooner than than usual and that's a good thing pitchers maybe not so much but i think that the hitters it'll be good for them so the main thing that you led with here that you want to see is how the back end of this bullpen shakes out everyone wants to see how the fifth starter spot shakes out and we'll get to that in a minute you know one thing that i really am am interested well there's two i mean i always have to have two i can't just answer my own questions succinctly but (laughs) The, the one thing I'm very curious to see with the back end of that bullpen is Jose Alvarado. You know, you yeah. and I talked so much about him last year and how impressive it was for, I think, not only to just find his stuff, but to find a comfort zone, to find the confidence in his stuff that he previously lacked. And this was a guy that we thought was on the verge of being run out of town. I mean, you and I on this show, I, we could go back and pull that up. We say some smart things from time to time, but we were both kind of like, see you later, man. Yeah, we were done with him. And and I mean, this guy completely resurrected his career in this city. And I know it ended in just a catastrophic fashion. I, for, you know, maybe I'm getting softer at my old age, but I just don't, I just don't really put that on him. I just, I felt like it was a guy that was sort of cooked at the very end who really turned a corner and, and helped that team get to a spot they would have never been to had he not done what he did. And right. I, so I think I, I view him with a little bit more of forgiveness than maybe some fans will coming into the season. But what I want to see is now, how does he respond to that? Can he maintain what he found really in the second half of, of last season into the beginning of the postseason? Or are we going to take two steps back here and, and he be all over the place again? What if I said this to you, Bob? This is really an interesting thing when I looked at this bullpen. Now, let's just assume that the, the top seven guys in the bullpen, Dominguez, Alvarado, Kimbrel, Soto, and then probably Bellotti, Brogdon, and Matt Strom, right? Yes. Uh, and then there's going, to be a, there's going to be one more. It's going to be a long guy, whether it's Nick Nelson, Bailey Falter, Christopher Sanchez, whoever, right? But like the, the top seven, the, the real bullpen. If I told you that, Alvarado is the youngest guy in that pen. Does that surprise you? Yeah, it is surprising to hear that. I mean, I think, I think part of it is because he's one of the longest tenure guys in the back of that bullpen. Yeah, or I should say in the bullpen period. But I, I also think that it feels like it's been a lot longer than it has been here. <laughs> I was surprised when I looked it up. I was surprised that he's still only twenty-seven. Yeah, now he it turns has been 20- a long, strange trip. Those <laughs> he, he does turn twenty-eight during the season, yeah. but he's still only twenty-seven. So when you think about that and you think this is a he's entering what is considered a pitcher's prime, right? Late 20s, early 30s is considered the pitcher's prime. Yeah, like I think that there's there's a reason to be excited that he figured something out last year. Now, of course, you're right. It could go 
relievers are, are so fickle, right? It could go just as easily go bad as it went good for him, right? So we got to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. But I think that there's something there. I think that they figured something out. I think he learned how to pitch. He's pitching backwards, not, not relying so much uh, on the fastball, uh, you know, kind of relying, making that like more of a, se- of a second pitch or a, or a 1A, I should say. Um, and I think that that approach is what really changed it for him. And if, and if he keeps going in that direction, I think he's going to be fine. I agree. I mean, certainly there was a, a tweak to how he mixed pitches. And, and I know it's about the stuff with him at the end of the day, but I, I do wonder about the resilience. He showed a ton of it last year. Yep. Can he show it again? I don't think there's any reason to believe he won't. But it is something that when I look at the bullpen and I go, okay, if they get the bounce back from Kimbrel, which I think that there's enough of a track record there and the stuff and the velocity was still good enough. Mm-hmm. Some of the metrics still are good enough where I think that there's, there's still a very good pitcher there. Uh, I certainly have a ton of belief in Sir Anthony Dominguez. I have a lot of belief in Soto. If it, Alvarado is the one guy that I'm like, I just need to see you that first week of the season to, to just know, you know, like I, I am holding my breath and, and, and optimistically so right now, but uh, that's one thing I'll be keeping an eye on through the WBC, through spring training. The other thing is, I don't think that there's anything that can be answered for me th- this spring. It, it, like, it, I won't bat an eye if someone hits 400. Uh, I won't if someone hits a buck 30. I won't. Uh, I've seen the Don Brown thing, you know, going back 10 years ago. I saw Ryan Howard at the end when, when he was cooked, kind of fullest during the spring with big spring trainings. Uh, the Scott Kingeries of the world. Like we, we've been down this road. We all know that performance in spring training simply doesn't matter. Hey, he's still there, by the way. I know. Uh, <laughs> but but there is one thing I want to see from one Phillies hitter this spring. Yeah. I need to see Nick Castellanos drive the baseball. I don't need him to hit, uh, uh, you know, 300. I don't need him to hit eight home runs. I just need to see the guy swing the bat with authority. Mm-hmm. And – I go back to last year, you know, 13 home runs. He hit five home runs the last 40 regular season games. He didn't hit a home run in 17 postseason games. And you know what's amazing about it? You and I, I want to say it was the Braves series. It might have been that might have been that first, that first Braves game in the NLDS, or it might have been the first Padres game at home. It might have been game three of the Padres series. We watch Nick Cassianos take batting practice mm-hmm. and just launch balls into the second. Yep. It's what it was. And I, and I like looked at you and I'm like, I know this, I know it's BP dude, but like, what, what are we doing here? You know, mm-hmm. like if, if you can hit a ball with that type of authority during BP, like you would think there's at least enough pop where you wouldn't go 17 games in October without happening to, to run into one, you know? So I guess I guess I want to know what we're getting there. I feel like that there was the adjustment phase with him last season, different city, late start to the spring. Everyone was sort of trying to catch up. I know there's rumors about a potential wrist injury with him. You know, everyone kind of goes back to that, that awkwardness and saying like that might've sapped his power. He had a child last season. There's so many different things, right? Like this is a guy that has a, a long running track record of, of being able to hit gaps hit 20, 25 home runs, like that player has to still be there, right? Because if he's not, oh boy. Yeah, no, I I, I tend to agree with you on that. And it, it, it's interesting. Like I look at his um, first season in, in each place he's been, and it, he, it's been a struggle. Now, Detroit, it's obviously he came up as a, as a rookie, right? So it was really his second season in Detroit that was the one where he – wasn't great. Um, but then the third season is when he started to get the you know o- OPS over 800 and he became a, a really good player. Um, and then he gets traded to Chicago, Chicago. And even that was in season, right? So that one you don't really look at, but you look at Cincinnati and you look at his first season in Cincinnati and he hit 225 and, you know, 298. He did get 14 home runs in a shortened season, but he really didn't look great while he was there. But he bounces back the next season as an all-star. He gets MVP votes, right? Hitting hitting 309, right, with 34 home runs. And so all of a sudden it's like, okay. And now you come to Philly and it's like, okay, he took that step back. Again, adjustment. I believe that he'll have a he'll have that bounce back season. 
Now, I think you're right. It's something that you really want to see in spring training. You want to see him making good at hard, solid contact repeatedly and not just against minor league pitchers. You want to see it against guys who you know are going to be pitching uh, for big clubs when you get into the regular season. So um, I do think that that's something to look out for, um, but I do think it's there. Yeah. If it, uh, means, if it means anything. I mean, I do. It's not about numbers. I don't need to see an average. I don't need right. to see seven home runs. I, you know, I just need to see the ball driven with authority and Hey, low and away off speed, maybe a little adjustment. Like you just, I, I just want to see some progress. I want to see, I want to see an adjustment is what I want to see. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I know the fans at times last season were frustrated with him, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I also think that making the world series cures a lot of, of, of those uh, uh, frustrations. And I feel like that given the expectations, given the contract, given what he actually did, I feel like that everyone kind of closed down 2022 all good with Nick Castellanos. And, you know, he made some huge defensive plays, something that you, you brought him in for, you know, to make those clutch defensive plays in postseason games. But I just think that, you know, I think that the fans are coming into this season with this feeling of like, we're willing to let this play out. I mean, they have no choice, but I don't think that they're coming into the season saying this guy's a boss. He's never going to figure it out. I think there's some optimism that he's going to get comfortable and kind of become the player that everyone expects him to be. So that's the thing that I sort of have my eye on coming into this, into this spring training. So one thing that, that we've done the past five or six years and in, in part because the Phillies didn't have a lot of depth. And, and then you go back a couple of years before that, and in part because they just weren't very good. This team doesn't have a lot of roster battles. Like we don't have three spots in the everyday lineup up for grabs here. The the starting lineup in terms of, of who's going to take the field is set. Like we know what the Phillies want to come to opening day with. There's Mm -hmm. no mystery here at all. So there is no starting spot up for, for grabs unless there's an injury. And we know that that seven of those eight bullpen spots are pretty much locked in. Four of the spots in the rotation are locked in. So my question to you is, you know, what are the battles that we're looking at here? I mean, Edmundo Sosa, Harrison, th- these guys are on the team, right? Like Dalton Guthrie, he's on the team, right? Well, I think that I think once they traded both Veerling and Maton, that locks in Dalton Guthrie. Right. I think that that gets him that gets him on the team. Um, and they really don't have, I mean, other than, I mean, Jake cave is like the veteran guy that they brought in who's on the 40 man, um, who maybe could push for that in spring training. If Guthrie doesn't look great. I mean, I think that that's like the, the, the backup plan. Um, but the beautiful thing is, is, you know, Harrison can play the corners in the outfield if need be. Um, so there's, there's that too. So as far as the lineup is concerned, I don't think that there's really a bench. I don't think that there's much of a battle at all. Um, when they signed Josh Harrison, I think that that pretty much put Cody Clemens into the minors. I mean, he stays on the 40-man, but I don't think he starts the year with the team. Um, I do believe he has – I'm going to look real quick. I do believe he has an option left. Yeah, he does. So Cody is two. Uh, so Cody Clemens can get sent down. Um, Harrison cannot and Sosa cannot, right? So – uh, I, that's why I think that those guys are are gonna are gonna get the bench spots. Stubbs, it'll be Stubbs, Sosa, Harrison, and Guthrie. I guess what's interesting is to see with until Harper comes back. I have Derek Hall on this roster. And well, I think yeah, it. no, no, he's going to be, and I think yeah. he's going to play against righties. I mean, yeah. no questions. The DH against right-handers, but if you face a lefty, then what happens? Like, does does Harrison go in and play a position and somebody else becomes the DH? Um, or do you just make Harrison the DH? Like, how does that – what do you do against a left-handed pitcher? I mean, you're obviously not taking Schwarber out of the lineup. Right. Um, and it looks like Marsh is going to be your everyday center fielder. Your Stott's going to play second. Uh, so you're not taking your lefties really out of the lineup unless it's you know, just give them a blow. There's no real platoon. The only platoon slot in the lineup to me – is that quote-unquote DH slot against left-handed pitching. So that's the only other thing I think that needs to be resolved as far as the lineup's concerned. So before we move on from that, you know, we talk about things being solidified. There are some things that need to be answered, though. I don't think that that you could be more impressed than we were with Bryson Stott, maturity and the clutch factor and, and the game not being too big for him, the moment not being too big for him. But 
you know, they face a lefty. Are, are we absolutely certain that Bryson Stott is going to take the bulk of these at-bats? Are we certain that, that you know, center field, are, are we are we absolutely certain that that's what we're doing? You know, and I know that there's this idea that you have to, you have to give these guys the first look. You have to give them every opportunity to prove they can't do it. And right. I'm comfortable with that. But if they can't, you know, and then that depth and, and then how you construct that bench really comes into play. Do we see a lot more uh, of Harrison? Do we see a lot more of Sosa? You, you know, what, what does play out here? Yeah, no, and that's a fair question. And, and I do think that those guys are going to get starts in those situations, right? I do, I do think you're going to see opportunities for Sosa and Guthrie and Harrison to play against, especially against left-handed pitching. It just makes sense. I just don't think it's a true platoon, in other right. words. Like, I think Stott and Marsh are going to, uh, at least those two guys, are going to be guys who play more regularly against lefties. Uh, it's not going to be a straight platoon. But you're right. If they come out and can't hit lefties and are really struggling against lefties, then maybe it eventually becomes a platoon where Dalton Guthrie is playing center field against left-handers and, and Edmundo Sosa is playing instead of Bryson Stott. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly a possibility. But I don't think that that's something that's going to be considered uh, you know platooning come you know we're gonna figure that out through spring training i think they're going to be given that opportunity to play into the regular season and then if by like may sometime in may it's not working i think that's when you might start to see some some changes so the the other thing that i'm interested in and you and i always talk about um culture talk about mindset where a team is at as as they go through a season and I know that there's been some talk about will this team be complacent? Uh, will they kind of just rest on the fact that, hey, we did it last year, so we know we can do it and it's all good? Or are they going to come out with a lot of urgency, you know, with the, with the hair on fire, so to speak? And so I kind of look at it and say there's, there's no chance of this team being complacent. And, and I say that, one, because I know some of the players and I know some of the personalities in that locker room, and I just frankly don't think that that's – how these guys are constructed. I don't think a Kyle Schwarber is, is a complacent kind of guy. I don't think JT Real Muto is a complacent kind of guy. I, I think that they have the right leadership dynamics in, in that clubhouse to kind of make sure that doesn't happen. But then I think that there's also a part of this in Philadelphia. One of the things I was saying during the Eagles run up to the Super Bowl was that Philadelphia doesn't really know how to be good. They don't know how to be the team that's supposed to win. It's, mm -hmm. it's always got to be born out of disrespect. Well, this analyst said this about us. This guy said this about us. We're the underdog. And it was, for me, I, I looked at it and I was wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong because they didn't win the game. But I, I came into the Super Bowl saying, like, the Eagles are the better team. They should win this game. You know, and, and I even felt weird doing that. Because my life, it's what the World Series was last year. Wow. This Phillies team is really good, and I have a lot of respect for what they've done, but they're going up against a much better opponent. And if everything breaks right, maybe they can win, but they probably won't. With the Eagles, I was like, they they should win this game. So with the Phillies, though, you say, hey, we're the defending National League champs. We have a high payroll, star-studded clubhouse, talent everywhere. But then you look at the odds, and you see that the Braves and the Mets are just miles and miles ahead. You see that the Mets are plus 130 to win the division. You see the Braves are plus 140. You see the Phillies are plus 370. 88 and a half wins on the over-under. They have the eighth best odds to win the World Series and the sixth best odds to win the World Series out of the National League. This team plays right into what every Philadelphia fan loves. The They're all overlooking us again. I just think that that's going to resonate in the clubhouse. I just don't think there's any way that this team comes out and says, eh, we did it last year. We're good. I agree. And, and that's, it's funny that you, you said that, Bob, but um, I wish we had talked about that. I, I, I actually started and I never finished it. Um, and maybe I will, but I, I, I started writing a story um, where I was looking at Philadelphia sports historically and how there's only been three instances in the history of Philadelphia sports, where we have been a front runner of some sort and come through all the way to the end. Okay. And, and in all honesty, only one of the three was like start to finish. And that was your 82, 83 Sixers who were, 
easily the best team in basketball that year. And then, you know, Moses Malone, fo fo fo, and they, they only lost one game in the playoffs instead of sweeping everybody. But still, I mean, that's how dominant they were. But the other, the other two was the second Stanley Cup for the Flyers, although it took until they got to the final before we went, okay, yeah, this is a legit team, right. because they thought that no way an expansion team was going to win back-to-back. And until they got there and played another expansion team, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, the Flyers are pretty good. And the other one was the Phillies in 08, not until they beat the Dodgers, though. I mean, I mean, you got to remember, I mean, people forget that they were behind and they had to run down the Mets, you know, yeah. at the end of the regular season. And then there's no way they're going to beat the Dodgers because they don't have the pitching and then they beat the Dodgers. Right. I mean, so, so like the Phillies kind of needed to kind of get rolling in that, in, in that year. And then of course you get the break of Boston losing to Tampa, the defending champ gets knocked out. Okay. This is a good matchup for the Phillies. The Phillies are going to win the world. So at that point you can be confident. Um, those were the only three times in the history of, of Philadelphia that we've ever done well from ahead. And, and every other time when we've gotten overconfident, we've been let down. Yeah, and I, I, I said what I said. It's, it's not even a criticism of the fans. It's just a, yeah. I don't know how to do this. I mean, as a 37-year-old, you've just spanned. I mean, I wasn't alive for the 82-83 Sixers. The, the, first, the first team that I saw reach the big stage was that 93 Phillies team. They mm-hmm. had no business being there. Right. I, I guess I suppose that the '97 Flyers. I actually was told they were favored in that series. They is, were is that- favored. In, they were favored in the series, but they weren't favored to get there. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I mean, it just it, that was just a team that it was weird. I mean, they, a lot of people thought the way it was going in that playoffs. Okay, they, they just beat the they beat the Rangers and they beat the it beat every you know who they beat. And it's like, okay, this is a team of destiny. Right. They're going to win. And Detroit wasn't. This was the beginning of the dynasty. Nobody knew Detroit was going to be that good. And then Detroit went and spanked them and swept them. So yeah, right. they were they were favored. The Flyers were favored there. But I mean, like look at the Eagles in 04, right? I mean, that you know, and even the even the two years before that, when they were home lost to the NFC championship games at home. Favored, favored, right? I mean, it was just, you know, the Sixers in recent years, like I mean, you know, looking at this is a team that should go to the the, the NBA final and they get bounced in the second round by Atlanta. You know, <laughs> I mean that's that's the kind of thing. I mean, every time. And I don't want to distract from what your, your point wow. is about this Phillies team, but I mean, we don't in Philadelphia, we don't know how to be good up front. It's but I better think when we come from up, behind. I really think that that's going to amp up this fan base a little bit because, yeah. you know, listen, we, the whole thing last year was show me. And I'm not telling you that every day or every game is going to be a sellout. It's not. You know, you're going to have cold days in April, kids are in school, all the normal stuff. But I do think that if this team is playing good ball and, and good things are happening down at Citizens Bank Park, we might not be looking at 18,000 people in the middle of July and, and people calling talk radio and saying, I need to see more. This team hasn't won forever. Like, I think that we got the ball in. And I think that people realize that, hey, this group of guys can do it, even if it's not pacing 105 wins. And I think that they've earned a little bit of trust from this fan base and people that were reluctant to pay and roll through the gates, I think are going to do it. And I think that not only are they good, but the fact that, again, odds makers, Major League Baseball, kind of enamored with the Braves about being this elite, unbelievable franchise, coming off a 100-plus win season. They're going to be great again. Everybody loving what, what the Mets have done and all the money that's been spent and that rotation. Phillies are kind of getting overlooked. And when you have a good team and one that's being overlooked a little bit that kind of plays into that Philadelphia, hey, nobody's giving us respect card, Man, it could make for really, really interesting fan dynamics if this team does get off to a pretty good start. Yeah, and, and you know what, Bob? I, I'll tell you, and I'll give you a, 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 a historical comparison. And I'm not saying that this is what this team is because it's not. This team is a lot better than what I'm about to show, compare it to. But coming off of that 93 year, because you remember, that was, an, that was a – surprise like that team the Phillies in 92 were the one of the worst teams in baseball they were worst to first to get to 93 and it was kind of a you know they got off to such a great start that the, the fans kind of got on board quick with that team right but at the same is this time gonna be a real team, is this gonna be a real team that you reference or no, no, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you is is that the following season so you come off of that great run and 94 rolls around. And I know that that's a strike year okay. and you can't, yeah. right? But if you start looking at their, their attendance okay. for home games, they were getting, you know, I'm looking at it right now. This is April, April night games at home. Not, I'm not going to, I'm going to skip opening day, right? But 
or the first two were a little bit lower, they're 23 and 24, but then 32,000, 36,000, 43,000, uh, 26, 35. I mean, that's a, that's a home, the first home that's stand, good. That's right? Good. I mean, you're, and that's at the vet. That's not at Citizens Bank. So, I mean, yes, it's not 64,000, which the vet could hold, but people, this city, it's, it's ingrained in us. If you believe in the team, you're going to show up and support them. I think it's worth pointing out that if you are between the ages of 18 and, and 28, this is the first time since that, you know, that you were eight and and 18, like you were either in elementary school or you're just finishing up high school since the Phillies were good. Like that, that younger demographic of people, the, the college age kid, the young professional, like those people haven't seen this in so long. Their lives have completely changed. Like where they're at in their growth process is totally different now. And I really think that last year was this reminder of like, Oh, and I said this, we talked about this last year. This can be really fun. Yeah. And let me, let me give you one more, but I'm just going to, this is like fascinating. I'm, I'm glad I pulled this up to look at it, look at it. So later in the season, the first time the Braves came in, now keep in mind the Braves are the team that Phillies beat in the NLCS in 93. Okay. So 94, this is the first year the Braves are in their division. Okay. That was the first, and it obviously it didn't, you know, they didn't have the, the playoffs. And so, you know, the, the, the Braves weren't really NL East champs until 95 when they won the world series. But the first time they came in was in late June. Okay, the Phillies were under 500 and and 11 games out when the Braves rolled into town for a weekend series in June under 500. Here's your attendance for the three game series. Forty seven, five, fifty seven, nine, fifty two, five. For an uh, sub 500 team in June, 11 games out of first. What's the season after you went to the World Series? Well, it might be that might be a little bit of a different error because as optimistic as I am about the fans being back in love with the Phillies, if the Phillies are eleven games out in June and they're under five hundred, it's a different it's a different era. Keep in mind that the wild card exists now, yes. which it didn't. It, you know, yeah. if you're if you're a five hundred team in June, you are still in the playoff race now. It is going to be interesting because, you know, one thing that kind of I feel like got overlooked, like everyone's in love with Rob Thompson, everyone's in love with this team. But, man, one thing that Philadelphia loves to do, you lose, you know whose fault it is, right? Yep, absolutely. The coach, like Jonathan yep. Gannon, tell you about that. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, wrong right. in this case. But, you know, Rob Thompson got crushed. How do you take out Zach Wheeler? How do you go to Jose Alvarado? How do you – and so – it kind of is like a little bit of a reminder that if things don't get off to a good start, like how much, how much wiggle room does he have? How much goodwill has he built up? Probably a lot, I, I yeah. think, but yeah. I say that now we'll see what happens 60, 70 games in if things aren't going well. Yeah. Um, so, okay. That being said, I, I do think that this team is going to come in with the right mindset. And that was really the initial point here where I, we were going to be. I agree. Yeah. And, and I, I really do kind of believe that. Um, so there, there are a few other things we want to talk about. We don't want to do an hour and a half show tonight because hey, March gets long, you know, there's, right. there's a lot to talk about when, when spring training starts up and we're all excited, but about two weeks from now, we might need some content. So we're going to table some things for future shows, but let's talk a little bit about this, this fifth spot in the rotation. I have a thesis and you can tell me that I'm wrong. I think that this is Painter's job to lose. Uh, I know he's 19. I know that's young for Major League Baseball. It's especially young for the Phillies. They've been so cautious with their prospects over the years, and it seems like their young talent gets to the big leagues at 24, 25 almost. You know, I get all that. I know what history says. I listened to Dave Dombrowski talk during, uh, you know, one of his appearances this offseason, and, you know, Painter comes up, the fifth spot in the rotation comes up, and, and he puts it right out there and says, like, hey, you know, it's there. And, and to me, that signals that the, the Phillies are going to give this kid a legitimate shot, that this isn't like, a, you know, we, we don't really even want him to win it. We're going to be really cautious. I think once you say that, you've set this expectation that if he performs, he's going to win the job. I, I don't know how he's going to perform. I can't tell you that. But I think if he performs well enough, he's going to win it. I, I tend to agree. The only thing that I will, and I think it's his job for the predominance of the season. The only thing I will say that maybe 
he doesn't get the job straight out of spring training. Is it um, yeah, because they want to, you know, they want to curb his innings and be careful. Uh, they want to manage it. I think that it could be a situation where it's like, hey, Bailey Falter will give us the first, you know, five to seven starts, and then we'll call up Andrew Painter to to kind of come in. You know, once it's a little bit warmer, we don't have to worry about him throwing, you know, in a forty degree bluster blustery game you know and, and have to pull them after three innings and let me the give you this let me give you this uh, hypothetical the phillies are not the team to beat in this division can they win it maybe like we'll do predictions a few weeks from now and all of yeah. that but if if painter is as advertised immediately and you just say this kid might be the, the best pitcher on the staff right now you know i know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves with what zach wheeler is what aaron nola is as well Let's just say that he has that type of spring. You know, are the Phillies in a position to to not field the best rotation possible, given that, like, this is not a team that's that's supposed to run away with this division? They don't have the luxury of of comfort here. No, it's that's a great question, Bob. And and, and you're and I think that you're pretty spot on with that. Um the, o- the only thing I will say is is that I don't think that the Phillies are in a bad spot if you just wait. Um, six weeks to bring him in. Like, in other words, you're you're really comfortable with your top four guys, right? I mean, there's no question. Nola Wheeler, Suarez, and and Walker. Taiwan Walker. You're comfortable with them rolling out there every five days, right? Assuming assuming health, that's a good rotation. So if your fifth guy is a guy like like Falter or Sanchez or whatever, I mean, whoever. Um, Michael Plasmeyer is another name that that uh, was brought up today by Rob Thompson, as a matter of fact. I, I heard that, and I, I like yeah. him, and he's a, a great guy and might have a spot on this team at some point this season. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I would be stunned if Michael Plasmeyer was the fifth starter out of spring training. But yeah. stranger things have happened, I guess. No, yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, if it, 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 what I when he mentions those names, it almost makes me think they're willing to kind of just piecemeal it for a little bit. Right. You're not looking at a lot of starts. You're looking at you know starts here and there for for six weeks just to manage his innings. So that way you're not shutting down Andrew Painter when the games matter more at the end of the year, but rather he's a little bit more fresh. Would That's you, the only would thing you I could toy say. with the notion or toy with the idea of shortening the bullpen a guy and going with the six-man rotation for this very reason and for the fact that you actually might have the depth to do it? Yeah, that's a great – and, Bob, I would not be opposed to that, especially if you feel like, you know, the way that the calendar breaks out, that you get that, you know, that extra day off here and there. You say, okay, well, we could skip this guy so he's available out of the pen for 10 days, right? I mean, so you could really kind of, you know, we're going to go six men for a little bit and then, you know, but these 10 to, you know, 10 to 12 days, we are going to go only going to go five so that guy can, you know, the other guy can kind of flex back into the bullpen as a long man if needed. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I don't that. think they're going to do that. I don't think that they have an appetite for that from, from kind of what we understand to this point, but right. well, I, I don't know. I mean, look, all I will say is this, is Dombrowski has a very rich history of putting a 20-year-old pitcher into a rotation. He did it with Jeremy Bonderman, who didn't really pan out for the Tigers um, at age 20. He did it with uh, Josh Beckett in Florida. He did it with Rick Porcello with the Tigers. Um, even Verlander, I, he was 22 when he was a rookie, but even still, I mean, that was, he was really young. That was a 22 year old ace for a team that went to the world series. Right. So, I mean, he has done it, man. And, and so I would not be stunned if Andrew Painter is on the roster. I just think that it's an era where you manage innings so much more now that it makes a little bit more sense to kind of let him breathe a little bit and then call him up when it's a little bit warmer and you can, you know, get the calendar working in your favor. But yeah, I, I, you know, there's no question he's going to be, he's going to make the fifth most starts. Assuming, assuming everybody's healthy, he will make the fifth most starts this year. I just look at this team, the year that they came off of, the talent that they have. I know what stands in their way in both the Braves and the Mets. And I respect both of those teams. And, and, you know, hey, spoiler alert, I, I probably won't pick the Phillies to win the NL East, you know, but, this is a team that it's set up for success moving forward. They have some interesting prospects. You feel good about it. But when I look at 
the championship window. You know, can this team win a championship? Could, could they do it in, in 24 or 25 or 26? Sure, I, I, maybe. I have no idea. But I look at 23 and say, there's got to be some real championship urgency here. You went to the World Series last year. This team is not particularly young. <laughs> you know, Aaron Nola, th- do they do a deal with him? They seem like they're, they're saying like they want to. They're, they seem to be motivated to do it. But he's, he's an unrestricted free agent. Zach Wheeler's not getting any younger. Bryce Harper isn't getting any younger. JT Romuto is not getting any younger. People thought that he was about to fall off a cliff at the start of last season. And certainly he rebounded. But like, to me, this is, this is the prime, you know, like this is the team. This, this to me is like a year. If I'm Dave Dombrowski, like we talk about his aggressiveness and, you know, putting a championship team on the field. Like I got to imagine that that front office is looking at one another and saying like, we're trying to win a championship this year. This is about winning the world series. Yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. And I, you know, so if he feels that Andrew Painter pitching in April, on April the 4th against the Yankees, which I guess would be the, if we're looking at the calendar, would be the fifth game. I think that's what it is. Um, if you feel like that is when you need to have him make his major league debut and it's going to give you the best chance of winning, then do it. And I have, and this I, have zero, I have zero problem with that. And this but is a great conversation piece on, on February 16th. We yeah. could be, you know, here the first week of March saying, well, he has no command. Uh, he's clearly not ready. He's not right. the best starter. Right. We'll see you in June, hopefully. I mean, maybe that's where we end up. But as a conversation piece at the start of spring training, when you have this elite level prospect, a guy that that probably is their best pitching prospect since what, Cole Hamels? Since Cole, yep. I, I fair to say. And cool. I always feel like there's a, a little bit more upside attached to this kid right now, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, and, and not to say that he's going to have that type of career for, or that type of impact for this team, but just in terms of expectation, talent, what he did last season, I mean, this, this is the, this is the real deal here. You know, I, I just am very curious to see how they play it. And I think it'll signal quite a bit about the way they feel about this team and, and their intent, frankly. Um, hey, okay. real quick, I just, yeah. just two things off of what you just talked about in, in your last two, uh, pieces of, of information you threw out there one you mentioned cole hamels signed a minor league contract with the san diego padres today ring chasing he's ring chasing <laughs> yeah. do you think he, do you think he gets in there do you think he gets an opportunity with that rot with that team i, I do know, how many times like how many more like cole hamels comebacks and i, I just i don't know I, do. I, get, I, I, I get why he's still in it because I bet you if, if everything aligns, like there's a physical talent that's still, that can still play at that level. Uh, but what's the sustainability of it? I, I don't know. And if you're the Padres, like, sure. Yeah. What the hell? Why not? It's an interesting piece. There's yeah. no, I get the deal, but if you're, you're telling me like, do I think that Cole Hamels is going to be a, a quasi significant contributor to the San Diego Padres postseason push this year? I don't know. I, I, I can see, I'll tell you where I can see him kind of, fitting in i could see him kind of fitting in in a relief role that's interesting yeah. does he does he have the ability to bounce back like even if it's every other day like once every three days like i just yeah I, we know I that he it, has that left we'll see that's what he's not not typically accustomed to so that'll yeah. be interesting it's, certain certain guys you know have have been able to do it and other guys have been have really struggled but you got to think that they don't they don't really have a fifth starter they really don't have a fourth starter i mean really if you look at that for all the money that the padres have spent they after darvish musgrove and snell you know who the next three guys that that are going to be in their battle for their rotation michael waka who they just signed yeah nick martinez who ended up being better out of the bullpen last year than than starting and Seth Lugo, who they signed away from the Mets, who's we've seen with New York, is better in the bullpen um, than he is uh, than he is as a starter. So what do you ha- what are, what's the possibility? I mean, who else can they possibly go? You know, the Morahone kid, maybe. I mean, yeah, but he looked better again again in the bullpen. And then they brought in like a bunch of veteran non roster guys, including Hamels and and Julio Tehran uh, or however you pronounce Tehran Tehran whatever. I think we actually that was a thing uh, like four years ago when we were yeah, talking about him. I could never get his yeah. name right. But, um, uh, the, the second thing I wanted to say, 
The Mets, who mad respect, right? Mad respect for the Mets. Do you know who the youngest player in their projected 26-man roster is? Pete Alonzo. That is correct. Yeah. At 28 years old would be the youngest. The only other players that are even under 30 are Lindor. Um, Well, Nimmo turns 30 uh, before opening day. Um, Nito is 29. Uh, Guillaume is is 28. He's a bench guy. Uh, The pitching staff is the youngest pitcher is Kodai Senga at 30. (laughs) Um, What could go wrong? And then the bullpen, Edwin Diaz, 29. Like, it's crazy how old they are. They're like the 83 Phillies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> two things on that real quick. Number one, get ready for the Edwin Diaz regression year. I agree. Uh, and and number two, I just – I'll see you in October, New York. They'll get there. There's too much talent to not get there, but I'm not doing this again. You know, they <laughs> had me last year, and you looked at me, and you're like, you're a sucker. I'm like, no, man. Because you remember, it wasn't just that they were winning games. They were winning games, like, with magic, too. Yeah. They were good. They were, like, they were beating the hell out of teams. But then when they weren't, they'd be coming back. They'd have all these improbable, crazy wins. The bullpen was locking everything down. And I'm like, man, this is actually different this year. And lo and behold, it wasn't different. I'm just not doing it. I don't, you know, how many times do the Phillies play the Mets this season with the new uh, schedule? 12, I think it's 12, right? Okay. Mets go, uh, you know, eight and four against the Phillies. Okay, great. I don't care. Show me an October. I just can't. Well, I I, I know we're not doing predictions tonight, but you know what? I'll tell you this. If you've listened to this podcast before, then you know that I'll say this. My take on the Mets is no different this year than it's been in any of the other years that we've done this podcast. They're still the Mets. They're still the Mets. They they're going to get all this publicity. They're going to get all the all the hype. The, like the, the Cowboys. They, they yep. become the Cowboys. That's what they are. thousand percent. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> We're on, we align there. Yes. By the way, I hear, unless you had something else, I hear that you're taking my job here and doing one last thing. I, I am. And you know wow. what? I wanted to talk about the rule changes, but let's – Oh, let's, yeah. Darn, we didn't even get to the rule. You, you, you want to say that for, say you for Monday? Yeah, we'll hold that. I have some <laughs> rules. I have some rule changes thoughts. So we'll hold that. Yeah, let's, let's, go to, let's, let's go to one last thing here. Uh, I am going to take your, your job. So uh, Corbin Burns, 2021 Cy Young winner, right? Had a, had a good year in 2022. Uh, goes to arbitration this year with, uh, with Milwaukee. They can't agree to terms, so they, they go all the way. And I believe that he, uh, he wanted 10-7-5. And uh, Milwaukee came in at 10.01. And no, with arbitration, there's no middle ground. You either you present your case, one side wins. Milwaukee wins. Great job. Good job, Brewers. You, uh, you went in, you made your case. And in the process, you created some hurt feelings with one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, he was interviewed today uh, when he reported and basically said, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. It shows you where an organization values you. It, it, it shows you what the organization truly thinks about you. And I get that it's a business. And I'm paraphrasing him here. But, you know, I get that it's a business. But you hear some of the things that they use against you. And he had said one of the things they used against him was that he was one of the reasons they didn't make the postseason last year. And if you remember, the Phillies made it over the Brewers by a game. So, they, you know, they, they used that against me. They actually won his final two starts. And he had a little bit of a hiccup against the Mets uh, in like mid to late September. And then he lost another start against the Cardinals in which he wasn't really bad either, but they kind of built this case against him. And he comes out of it and says, yeah, like I'm not thrilled. Like, you know, I'm a professional. I'm going to do my job, but you know, what the hell man. And this is a guy that like I said, he's, he's one of the best pitchers in the game. And so I, I guess the question that I have for you, because there's two schools of thought here. One is, is it really worth it? And I know that Milwaukee's not a big market team, but is it really worth it to haggle over $750,000 for this elite level talent when you know what the ramifications are going to be in terms of morale? Or do you look at it and say like, hey, yeah, Corbin, you know what? That sucks, but blame your players union that negotiated that process and agreed to it. So you, you, you make a, uh, you give me two very good options there because th- I think both are, are, are the case. Like, I mean, if, if you know, you really want to look at it, yeah, it's the players' union. This is, what they, this is what they agreed to, and the team has the right to do this and, and kind of put it into a, into a perspective. 
and I've never been a big fan of players whining about money. I mean, he's getting ten, paid $10 million this year. You know, when, how, how long will it take us to earn $10 million, Bob? Right? Uh, combined. <laughs> Like it's Maybe if I'm wild. in Home Depot and a beam <laughs> hits me on the head or something, or, yeah. right? So I mean, I I don't I don't have that much sympathy in that regard, but I do I do agree that if he's your best player, and look, guy won the Cy Young in 21, right? And he's one of he's one of the best pitchers in the game. You don't the optics of of taking him to arbitration and then using like negative statistics in front of him against him to say why you shouldn't pay him that extra $750,000. That's irreparable harm that you're causing your own team. It's going to cost you more than $750,000 in the long run. To me, you suck that up and you pay it. So both what you offered there, both the things that you said are, are true. And this is what I, this is how I'll counter that. And you said we would bring up Sir Anthony Dominguez, and I'm going to bring it up right here. He signed his extension with the Phillies today. Uh, two-year extension with an option, right? That's club option for the third year. Yeah, club option for the third year. Um, his reaction to that was like emotional and unbelievable. He, he talked about how important it was to him and his family to get a contract that they're now set for life. Yeah. And he said he doesn't want to be anywhere else the rest of his career. He wants to play here in Philadelphia because this is the only other family he knows. And the Phillies have gone out over the last several years and gotten all these players signed. They've gotten their arbitration cases settled since Dombrowski's come in. And they're getting a reputation of being really good to players, right? I mean, they're not, they're not overpaying out the wazoo either. They're just saying, okay, we can meet you closer to the number that you want. We'll find a way to make it work for, for both sides. And the players want to be here. And it, and it, 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 that vibe, that Good mo- juju is 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 legit. It's a thing in baseball. When you are playing night after night after night, those are the things that keep you motivated to play and 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 be at your best that often. And so when I mean, the Phillies do that, point too. it's it's right? a little bit different in the NFL. Like, say you're on a one year deal and you say, okay, like I'm not happy here, but I got to play for me. I got to play for my next contract. Right. You're going through the arbitration process. You know, you're not a, you're not always a free agent. You're not always at the end of that. You know, right. you you might have that another year. You might have two more years. You might have three more. You know, so th- there's not necessarily like a I just I'll do me and I'll get out of here and I'll get paid by someone else. So that need to create that that you know harmony, I, I, I think is is pronounced. Yeah, and it, it's great. And I and I think when you meant you brought up Nola. I think he's, he's going to get the contract. He's going to get it before the end of spring training, in my mind. Yeah. I, think it's, I don't think it's going to linger. I think it's going to happen pretty quickly, as a matter of fact. And, and that's a great thing. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to line it up for once um, the World Baseball Classic kind of starts because he's not going. He's still going to be there. So it gives, it's something that they can kind of trumpet while so many other players are not around, right? Um, so I kind of think that that's when it, it could happen. Um, but it's going to happen. And, and, and that's what makes this. Co- There's a great. And I put a little post up on Crossing Broad today. Uh, I'll, I'll finish with this. There's a little interview that Jason Stark and Doug Landville did on their podcast. Um, I think they did, interview, did the interview yesterday, but it, it came out today um, with Kyle Schwarber. And they had originally scheduled him to be on the podcast. And Schwarber apparently got like the schedule confused and scheduled a round of golf with some of the other Phillies but still agreed to do this long-form 45-minute interview with, uh, with Stark and, and Glanville. And it's a great interview. And you go to Crossing Broad and you go to my story, you'll be able to see it, be able to watch the whole 45 minutes. It's a great interview. It's a lot of fun. And he's out on the golf course with JT, with Bryson Stott, and I think it was Garrett Stubbs was the fourth guy. And they are just having a blast with this whole thing. And they talk a lot about that, that culture. And you know how Schwarber is, right? I mean, he's... He's very, he notices everything. He's very analytical. He's able to really kind of harness what that is in that clubhouse. And you get the sense just from watching that video, they are ready to come back and play. They're not, like you were saying earlier, this isn't a team that's going to get complacent. And it's, it's because they like each other so much. Yeah. It's a, it's a great clubhouse in that, in that, in that vein. 
And you have to have that if you're going to be competitive, even if you're if you have two other teams in the division like Atlanta and New York, who you think may be a little bit better and probably will win a few more games. Well, that then that's what's going to carry you through. And that's what the Phillies have set up. They've they've created that culture. They've had it for a long time and then it kind of went away a little bit. But now they're bringing it back. And I think that. I think that this is a, this is all tied to Dombrowski and his people and, and getting the right people in that locker room. It, it's going to, I think they're going to really be a fun team. Um, I'm not sure, certain I will pick them to win the division either, but I think that they're going to be a fun team this year and it's going to be an, a, a real exciting thing to watch. And, and Dan Brewers, you should learn from this. You should learn from this because you're going to lose Corbin Burns and Aaron Nola is going to be with the Phillies for six, seven more years. Easy. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, that will do it for our first episode. We will be back on Monday uh, with our next show. Uh, make sure that you're following us wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Both of our personal accounts here. Uh, I'm Bob Wankel at Bob Wankel CB. Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly. And then you can follow the show brand new Twitter account. Not many followers right now. I think Anthony and I are the only two that are following. So, <laughs> you know, throw us a pity, uh, pity follow on Twitter there. That's up at Up Phillies. And we will talk to you guys next week.